Hello, everyone. I'm Shannon Torrance, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on proof of afterlife, whose mission is to bring hope and inspiration to others and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. If these interviews resonate with you and you want to hear more like them, you can support the podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing with like-minded friends. Thank you so much, and thank you for being a part of the Magic is Real family. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Hello, Magic is Real listeners. Thank you so much for being here today. I have with me Nancy Rhines. Did I pronounce your name correctly, Nancy? You did. I mean, thank you. I'm so glad I did. Uh, <laughs> Nancy is the author of two books, Awakening from the Light and Walking in the Light, which are based on her experiences of having had two near-death experiences and the insights that resulted from those experiences. Nancy, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me on your program. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. I am too. I know of you. I've year, Before I started doing this podcast, I watched all the near-death experience videos um, that I could get my hands on. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy to meet you and have you here. Um, so first of all, Nancy, I'd love to have you sort of introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about what I love about your story is the fact that you come from an atheist slash agnostic background. Um, I always think that those are the most compelling. Um, and I'd love to know about that, but also what was your life like before this? And who would you have said you were? Um, who was Nancy? Who was Nancy <laughs> Rhines? Um, and what did your life look like? You can start it as far back as you want to. Okay. It, I think it makes sense to just briefly mention a little bit about my childhood. I was actually, it was interesting because the reason I bring this up is because I've gone through these waves, you know, in my life where I was spiritual and then went, went to being kind of an atheist or agnostic and then back to spiritual. So when I was a little kid, I'm talking four or five, six years old, I was very spiritual and I didn't really, I, I didn't like think that was a big deal at the time that's really just who I was but it's it's possible that I had an NDE when I was about four years old and that may have been what prompted that young when I was really young to be very spiritual um, I fell I fell off of basically I fell off the side of a barn and hit concrete and was you know I, I had to be revived and was out for like 45 minutes but but I came back from that really Kind of seeing and in my in my four or five year old terminology you have to understand it's different now but back then it was that i was seeing god everywhere god was in everything you know everything was beautiful it was very much like what happened after this nde when i was older so i had quite a few years of that um when i was young and I mean, I, I was just walking in this, you know, this space of being very spiritual, but, but my family was, we were farm, we were a farm family and blue collar type people in the Midwest. And so I was raised in, in farm country working, you know, baling hay and, you know, tending the cattle and that kind of thing. Um, but we, you know, we went to church on Sunday, but it was more because that's what you did, not because that's really what it seemed they, my parents believed it was just, that's how they were raised. And so that's what you did. And, and it was, it was a Catholic church. And when I was in my teens, 
you know, that's when you start putting things together and really like thinking about stuff. I started to really not like the Catholic Church when I was in my teens because of what was going on with um, there were a lot of that. That was the time when the huge scandals about, you know, priests sexually assaulting kids and a whole bunch of sexual misconduct was coming, kind of coming, coming out in the church. I mean, everybody knew about it before then, but nobody really wanted to do anything about it. But I didn't, you know, I was a kid, I didn't know what the, all that was. And I started getting really angry at the church and angry at God. I'm, I'm, you know, in my teenage years, how could God allow that to happen, especially in his church, right? So that's where my thinking kind of went. And I really just pushed that whole, I got really turned off by the whole idea of religion and and even spirituality. I didn't know there was a difference between the two back then. So everything was, you know, religion. And I got really turned off by, by all those stories. And then, you know, just reading about the history of what the, of what the Roman Catholic Church has done over the years um, to people, you know, the Native American, you name it. It's just across the board. They were not, they were not great for a lot of their years. And, um, and I really got turned off by that. Now I know there's some people out there that who are Roman Catholics right now. So trust me, I understand it's not you. That was the institution of the church. And I didn't understand the difference at the time that there was a difference between the people who were running the church and the spirituality behind it. So that was my, you know, my teenage understanding of it was that they were all the same. And so I kind of just rejected the whole thing. Um, and then I went in, I, I went to art school and then also decided, because I loved art and I loved the sciences kind of at the same level. And so I went to art school for a couple of years and then I went in and studied um, archaeology and geology in, in college um, and got my degrees in those and then, then did some work as a, I was actually an archaeological artist for a while. Um, and then did some work with the, you know, with the U.S. government for geology type stuff. Um, and, and it was during those times, you know, when I was in college and then grad school, and then definitely afterwards where I was, you know, a practicing scientist. It, it was not cool back then in the sciences to even voice the idea that you were curious about stuff. And even though I kind of rejected the church, I was still curious about certain things because I still had weird things happening to me that I couldn't explain. Um, you know, precognitions that were very clear, knowing where things were in a place where I've never been before. Uh, you know, odd things like that, that science at that time really couldn't explain. But because the sciences, especially back then, were so they were almost as dogmatically religious about their science as the Catholic priests were about being Catholic. Um, you couldn't talk about that stuff really, except to kind of laugh it off. You know, you, it, you weren't supposed to take it seriously, at least in the circles I ran in. Um, and so I just really pushed that aside for a while, although I was still curious, you know, I was still curious about, the, I was a historian and I still love to read about, you know, the history, especially from, 
you know, Egyptian times, because I did a lot of it. Yeah, I did Egyptology when I was in school and through from Egyptian times all the way through like the Crusades. I loved learning about that and going to places and seeing stuff. But I still had these experiences that I couldn't explain, but I just like because I couldn't explain them, I just brushed them off to the side and didn't didn't really follow up on them because even my friends thought I was nuts, you know, for being sort of interested in this. But but to me, I guess even back then, that's what a scientist really is. It's really truly a scientist should be someone who is curious and open to exploring and testing stuff and experimenting and trying to figure out what that is or why that is. Um, but unfortunately, I think the tide's turning now, but but especially back then, science wasn't that way. It was very rigid and un inflexible. But um, so I just kind of did my little thing on the side and didn't tell anybody, which made my you know friend friendship relationships a little bit challenging because it was all with scientists. Um, so that's really you know that's really how I spent most of my adult life, my career. I was a science writer. I did. Um, I did work in the engineering field as well, so, uh, software engineering, but really as a, as a writer and a trainer. Um, I trained geoscientists on how to use very high tech pieces of software. So it all kind of, you know, fit together in that whole scientific philosophy. Um, and then in my, you know, so in my early to mid 40s, I wasn't, I was starting to feel like something was missing. And, you know, I didn't know, I didn't really know what it was. I was thinking, well, maybe I need to find another job. You know, <laughs> Maybe I need to, you know, do so, this external thing was making me unhappy, right? Whatever it was, I didn't know what it was. So I was looking to something external for the reason why I wasn't feeling, you know, really good in here. Um, just because I didn't have, I didn't have that, I guess I didn't have that background to look internally first. So I was, at that point, I was working at um, the scientific software company in Boulder, Colorado. And that was the place that I was, I was a, a writer and a trainer. Um, and, and, and this kind of leads into, to that NDE that I had, I knew that, I knew something was I could almost feel something shift going to shift in my life when this all happened and I, I had taken a week off between christmas and new year's that year and just to chill out and you know take some time off and do whatever and um and so i lived kind of outside of boulder and i went for a bike ride one it was just crystal clear one friday morning it was january 3rd and I left at, I think it was like 10.30 a.m. I left my, my house. And there was something telling me not to go out that day, but I kind of said, nah, I'm gonna go anyway. There, I just had this instinct to put my bike back away and go back in the house and do something else. Um, but I went about my, my way, I decided to go for this ride. And I was really just gonna do a couple of quick errands around town and then head off to the bike path and just um, 
it, Boulder, Colorado is just full of bike paths and there was a beautiful bike path through this creek area that I wanted to go to. And um, so I set off on this, on this bike ride and it was the first part of it would be on street, but it but there was a, a decent sized bike lane, you know, it was pretty wide on each side of the street. So I'm in the bike lane, um, not, not even, honest to God, not even 10 minutes from my house, I entered a, a traffic circle. And it was a new traffic circle that they had just put in just maybe a couple months before. Um, but I didn't notice there was no bike lane in it. So it got really the circle got really narrow way way narrower than than the lane you know as it was coming in and of course there was no bike lane so the the driving lane was really narrow there was no place for me to go so i'm cautiously kind of going into this traffic circle there's a um a vehicle behind me it was a subaru i think it was a forester i can remember the color everything um but I get into the traffic circle and I notice like there's traffic coming in from the right. And at first I thought they were going to stop. There was a, a big SUV and then behind it was a pickup truck. Um, and I thought the big SUV was, it looked like it was going to stop. So I kind of cautiously proceeded. And at the last minute, you know, they're supposed to stop when there's traffic in the circle. Well, she didn't. She ended up flooring it um and hit me on my my right side um and i just remember this is like this moment that seems to have gone on for eternity when i tried to push off but i was i didn't really know what to do because there was that car behind me and i didn't want to get i didn't really see a good way out of this <laughs> you know i had a car behind me i had her hitting me and then there was a truck behind her and there's nowhere to go. Um, and so I ended up somehow flipping up onto the hood of this SUV with the, wo the woman who was driving it. And I, I managed to kind of grab on to that, to the front top of the, the hood or the bonnet, as they say in Britain. Um, and I was looking in at her and she's on her cell phone. She's texting on her cell phone, like on the steering wheel like this. And not even she didn't even see me. Wow. I'm like, she's so busy with her cell phone that she didn't even see me staring in the window at her. <laughs> oh my God. That's a testament for not texting and driving. That's right. the best one I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she had no idea I was there. And she just kept driving. And I'm like, hello. I'm trying to like pound on the hood of the vehicle to get her attention. But I didn't really want to let go too much because she was still driving, and it and I couldn't and I couldn't hang on any longer. My hands kind of gave out, and so I slid down the hood as she's driving, um, and I hit the pavement. And I thought, great, she's gonna, you know, I'm I'm dead. She's gonna run over me. Um, she did run over me, except that I was right in between her wheels, like perfectly in between her yeah. wheels. But when I hit the pavement, I did, you know, I did crack a lot of bones. That was the first I could hear. I could hear that stuff. Not pretty. You don't ever want to hear that stuff. Um, and so I saw the the truck kind of or the SUV come over me. 
And then something happened. I had a backpack on and there was like a chest strap like across here. And that somehow got caught on something under underneath her axle. I don't really, un I still can't quite figure out what it got caught on, but it got caught on something. And I could feel myself kind of being dragged along. And I, I just didn't even think I reached up and um because i was scared about getting you know run over i wasn't i wasn't thinking at that point it was all just reaction so i reached up and grabbed on like kind of like this to her axle because i i didn't know she's in a turn i didn't know what would happen if that chest drop gave out and the back wheels would run over me so i was i i think in my head i was gonna like wait until she got out onto the straight part of the street and then let go but it didn't it didn't get that far so she's in the turn and the guy behind her in that truck saw what happened um and he he i don't know he must have been crazy with intention or something he drove like partially on the grass to to, to turn and go the other way around the circle and stop her. I mean, he like physically used his truck to block her from from driving. And so I'm like told, so grateful for him, yeah. you know, for doing that because he didn't have to do that, but he did, you know. And um, so she finally stopped. Luckily for me, the guy that was in the Subaru behind me was a trauma doctor. <laughs> wow. And there was also a trauma or ER nurse on the scene as well, who just kind of showed up out of nowhere. I still don't know where she came from, um, but she showed up out of nowhere. And between the two of them, mostly the nurse, actually, uh, she had me stabilize. She was, I was trying to get up and, and run away. That was my like yeah. instinct. And she held me down and and kept me from really from moving and she actually saved my life because if i had gotten up i would not have my my entire spine was a mess um i probably would have died on the spot instantly because my neck was broken in like five places and i had i had no ligaments or tendons that were whole i mean they were all you know torn apart and ripped up and there was nothing holding my really nothing holding my neck together at that point except some muscles <laughs> that was about it it was bad um so she kept me down on the on the ground which was really truly saved my life i'm so grateful to her for doing that and um you know and the paramedics came they got me to the hospital and it was worse than i thought i mean i knew i'd broken some bones but it was way worse than i thought um it was mostly trauma to my spine and um, I had a, you know, in my lower back, one vertebrae was completely blown apart. There was almost nothing left of it. Um, and then my neck, like I said, my neck was in pretty bad shape. But I had, um, I think they counted at least 24 bones that were broken. And, and, and those bones weren't just broken in one place. They were broken in multiple places. So the amount, the amount of fractures was well over probably well over a hundred different fractures. But the, the worst part of it was, oh, I had, I had a collapsed lung, not surprising because I had all the, I had broken ribs on my left side. Um, I had 
you know, internal bleeding in my pelvic area. And um, there was some weird trauma to my brain that they really wouldn't talk about. <laughs> uh, I had a helmet on, but it, the, the helmet actually had broken apart during all of this and fell, kind of fell off my head. Um, but there was, they actually didn't expect me to live the weekend because of the head trauma. Um, and, it, and it's weird because I didn't feel, I was functioning mentally fine. I could remember every detail of everything. I knew who people were. I mean, I wasn't like, it wasn't like I was losing my mental capacity. So when they, they told me that I had, you know, brain trauma, I'm like, doesn't make sense because I'm, you know, I'm functioning yeah. on all cylinders. It just didn't, it didn't compute. Um, and I, I'm still not really sure what all that was. And, and at least at that point until a little bit later, but, but it didn't affect my memory. It didn't affect my vision. It didn't affect, you know, functioning normal everyday functioning. So I didn't really feel any effect of that. Um, but you know, the doctors told my family not to expect me to live the weekend because of, because of what they saw going on in my brain. Um, but that actually cleared up pretty quickly. So by a couple of days later, they were okay with me going into surgery. So they weren't going to do anything on me at first. They were going to let the brain, the, whatever was going on with my brain kind of settle down. And it did. And, and so they had me in surgery Monday, which was, what is that, three days later, um, to repair my back, because that was actually the worst. It was, they would need to insert like about 12 inches of titanium rods on either side of my spine um, in order for me to be able to walk again. Um, so that was really where the NDE happened was during that, that surgery. Um, and I, Basically, just as soon as they gave me the anesthetic, I was gone. Um, I had my heart rate stopped, my breathing stopped, my blood pressure went to like zero. And I don't know if they, they could have easily accidentally overdosed me or I had just had a weird, most likely I just had a really weird reaction yeah. um, to the anesthetic. And, and that's what did it. You know, that's what kind of propelled me on this journey that I've been on ever since. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Um, you also mentioned, I've he heard you mention that when this happened to you, there was this moment where I don't know how you experienced it. You can, you can tell me where you did feel you were seeing things from sort of a, I don't want to say, I, I don't know, a 360 degree view, or you sort of had the awareness of being in different places at once. Can right. you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I'll, I, I still, um, I maybe have a better understanding of it now, but back then I had no idea what to do with this. So as the accident happened, as I hit the pavement, you know, I slid off of her truck, uh, off of the SUV and hit the pavement. Um, I noticed that my awareness was split. Um, some people call it bilocation. I really don't, I don't like that term because I don't think it really gets at what I experienced. So there was, there was an awareness, a part of my awareness that stayed in my body. And I just call that 
my body consciousness, you know, that consciousness that we all have, that's really the body's own consciousness. Every, everyone has it, everything has it, every animal has it. And for me, I experienced that, that part of my consciousness was very centered on survival. Mm -hmm. It was very centered on fear. Um, I couldn't actually think, which is really odd. I could feel and I could feel fear, but I couldn't, I couldn't like analytically think. Um, it was basic survival uh, mode. Now the part of me, I could, it wasn't like I even experienced being pulled out of my body. It was just all of a sudden, I had a higher level of my own awareness that was outside of my body, watching the whole thing unfold from the side. It was weird. It was like from about, I don't know, 50 to 75 feet off to the side, something like that. And and I didn't actually feel like I was a physical being. I actually felt like a spirit at that point. I thought I was dead, honestly. And that was my spirit. And, and that's probably pretty close to what was going on. Um, but that was, in hindsight, you know, my higher awareness, my higher self, um, my, my soul consciousness, if you will, was propelled out of the body and just watching everything. And that me, that, that aspect of me was very calm, like so calm that I couldn't, that the, the human me couldn't believe it. There was like almost this tension between the two, like, how can you be so calm? And, and that, that soul consciousness of me said, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. This is, it's, it's painful right now, but it is as it should be. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> yeah, it is as it should be. And everything will be absolutely a-okay in the end. And I, and I couldn't believe that I was hearing this. Like, what are you talking about? I'm being run over by an SUV. This is not okay. Yeah. Um, but that's really what I was kind of going back and forth between those two parts of my awareness. Yeah. And I find it interesting that it almost to me sounds like was like you had a little glimpse of your soul separating. It wasn't quite, it hadn't quite made a transition. And when you say, I don't, you know, I don't know what happened under an, why my body reacted to anesthesia. <clears throat> my answer to that is because you were meant to have a full, <laughs> it, it's almost like, yeah, I mean, technically from a scientific standpoint, your body reacted weirdly to the, and it was beat up and probably just had a weird reaction, but it seems pretty, uh, pretty planned out. I don't know if you agree with me, but yeah. um, that you were meant to have a greater experience. So um, yeah. So after you go under, what is your experience? Yeah, so I um so we, I went under and as as you know they they actually injected me with the anesthesia while I was still completely awake and in the operating room which I really I really wish they would do this differently. I understand why they do it, but it's kind of freaky when you're you're fully awake and in the OR and you see everything around. It just is not a good thing from a patient's perspective. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't know why they do that. It it just doesn't, it, it's scary actually for most it is. patients. You're right. Um, 
the color of the room to this day i hate the color yellow because the color of the operating room was bright sunflower yellow and they do that you know they they paint it those colors to keep the yeah the, um the surgeons and the nurses awake and and you know uh, alert but now i associate yellow <laughs> with you know being in surgery anyway so i they put this anesthesia in me and as i'm drifting off i i kind of thought i knew what i was going to expect now i've had surgery before and you know typically when you get a, a general anesthetic you just kind of your consciousness just shuts down. And that's really what the thing does. It's, it shuts down your consciousness and you basically experience gray nothingness. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then they wake you up and it's no big deal. You know, that's typically what happens. Um, and they typically will also give you a, um, an amnesiac drug in the mix so that if you do wake up during surgery, you don't remember it. Well, they did give me that. Um, and they gave me the full on general anesthetic. But as I drifted off, you know, when they were injecting me with it, it I didn't go to that gray state. I woke, I kind of came to, and I'm looking around and first of all, I'm standing up, which I shouldn't be doing because, you know, I was just in the operating room. And around me is this beautiful, I'm like on a hillside, on a meadow in a hillside and seeing kind of mountains off in the distance with not really a sun, but the sky was kind of this bright shimmering light filled blue. So there was not really a sunrise, sunset. You know, I didn't see a sun in the sky, but it was just bright, it was a bright blue. And, and all around me was just this, it was beautiful. There was energy everywhere. Everything looked perfect. It was so peaceful. And I, and I was thinking to myself, very clearly thinking this, like, well, I must be hallucinating. And that's okay if, that, if I'm hallucinating, because this is an okay place to spend surgery. You know, I could do this. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first thought. Now, the interesting thing is when I've spoken, I spoke to Dr. Evan Alexander about this and Dr. Sam Parney and a couple of other physicians. And they said, well, you shouldn't have been able to think anyway. So if you're, if there is no such thing as soul, and if they just gave you this anesthesia, you should not have been able to put those words together in your head because of the amount of anesthesia that I had and the amnesia drug. Um, so that in and of itself spoke to the fact that consciousness is not produced by right. this thing up here. And for you to be able to remember it. Yeah, it was clear. It was really yeah. clear. I was like looking around trying to figure out what was going on and just analyzing like, is it this? No, is and going back and forth like a scientist, analyzing everything and wow, that flower looks weird. I've never seen flowers that have energy flowing up into them before. And, and I came to the conclusion that at first that it was a hallucination brought on by the anesthesia. But then the longer that I was there, the more, the more I'm thinking, I don't think this is a hallucination because this feels way too real. Um, and I have had the unfortunate um, incident before of hallucinating to a drug. I had I'd give, been given Vicodin um, several years before for some back pain that I was having. And that was not fun. 
and I know what a full-on hallucination is like, I realized that what I was experiencing was not a hallucination. It was crystal clear real. And I was beginning to understand that this was more real than where I was on earth. And then I started feeling these waves of kind of, at first I thought it was just energy coming into me. And I realized it was love and it was, it was a welcoming peace and love just coming into me. Like, like you would stand, I always say it's like standing in front of a fire on a warm, on a, on a really cold day, you know, where you get that radiation of heat coming into you from the fire. And, and that's what it felt like. It felt like I was being welcomed and hugged and embraced by some level of love that I couldn't understand. And, and I realized that before I even, it was, it, it, I realized that I was home before I realized that I was no longer alive. So I, I went, oh my gosh, I'm home finally. And then I had the thought, oh my gosh, I think I just died on the operating table. And if I did die, why am I here? I, I, my parents told me that I'd end up in hell <laughs> because I didn't believe in God. You know, I was an atheist. So I, I thought about why am I here? This, this isn't making any sense. I think I died, but I should be experiencing something different. Um, and then there was like a voice that wasn't really a voice. It was more, it wasn't like you would hear with your ears. It was more a voice that you would hear with your heart. And, and it was very, it wasn't really specifically a gender. It was kind of gender neutral, but it was very powerful and, and kind of loud. And it said, um, something to the effect of this is your home you are um, a child of mine and I don't think it meant child in the way that we would mean it but more like you're a part of me um, this is you're, you're a part of us welcome home this is your home and and I just kind of broke down and, and started weeping because it I just remembered I remembered that this whole thing on earth was really a simulation or an illusion or something like that. And where I was now was closer to real than anything I ever felt, you know, on, on the earth plane. And I don't know how long I was a blubbering mess, <laughs> but it was a while because I just felt so loved for the first time ever, you know, in my life, at least in that human life. And, and, some time later, I don't know how long, um, a, a spiritual type being a, a kind of a, she kind of glowed really. She was shimmering, silvery, vaguely human looking being came to me and introduced herself as my teacher or my guide. And she would teach me what I needed to know in order to go back to my life on earth and make it one that would be more of what I wanted it to be and to help other people. And, and I really had a reaction to that because I did not want to go back. <laughs> really didn't. I wanted to go and see my, I have I had some family members who had passed on before me 
and I wanted to see them. Um, I wasn't able to, but I really wanted to go see them. And she said, no, you're, you've already agreed to go back. That's what, you know, you've agreed to do this. You've agreed to have this experience, you know, learn what you need to learn and then go back. And I said, I don't remember that. I was kind of being kind of like a two-year-old would be. I was not, I was kind of in her face about a few things. And she's, so she got in my face and showed me, you know, this almost like a video of me before kind of planning out my life, not really planning it down to the nth degree, but kind of talk, you know, speaking with my spiritual guides, my spirit guides about some of the things that I wanted to learn, some of the things that I wanted to do. Um, and if I, you know, if I didn't do this by this time in my life, then, then I'd have this experience. So just some things like laying out some of the groundwork for what I wanted to do. Um, and I knew that it wasn't like, I wasn't being held to the fire or anything, but it was more like a, just a general kind of an idea of what I wanted to accomplish. And in that was, well, if I had, I remember this part, if I hadn't, if I hadn't become, if I hadn't turned away from my atheism, now my atheism was planned, by the way, which I, which was interesting, I had planned that out, that I would, that I would turn away, but then I would come back and, and become more, again, aligned with spirituality, I needed, for whatever reason, there was a lesson for me in in being an atheist for a while, or maybe it was to help me um, relate to people who are, so that I could more easily, you know, understand what they were feeling and going through, um, and where they were coming from. So I had, you know, I, my agreement was to have this experience of being an atheist, and then I there were like three or four events prior to the NDE that could have made me go back onto a spiritual path and i blew right through all of them <laughs> and so the agreement was that if i blew through all of those then i would have a big event such as this nde to kind of bring me back into the fold and to get me back on a track of what i was supposed to be doing um, so that's what i i was kind of when she showed that to me I, there was nothing i could say well, it's right there in front of you. What are you gonna, you know, what are you gonna say? Um, so I agreed to just go ahead and, you know, learn from her whatever it was that she was gonna teach me. And it and and it was interesting because it, she said it was stuff that most of us either have never learned or just choose to forget, and and we don't really pay much attention to it. A lot of simple concepts that we oftentimes like to ignore, but that are really, really important. Um, you know, one of them is just the basics of love. What is love? You know, what does it mean to love someone? What, what's the overall power of that? It's not just an emotion, it's an action, it's, a, it's an energy. Um, what is the, how, how, can we, how can we use that love to connect to other people? Um, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but to connect with people 3,000 miles away and know what someone is doing. Like, I, I know, for example, when one of my sisters is in pain, I can feel it. 
because I'm connected to them through that love. Uh, when I concentrate, it's not like I'm spying on them all the time, but when I focus on that, when I focus on connecting with them, then I can feel what it is that they're feeling. Um, they're probably going to be creeped out if they hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, they, I think they know. I've had some interesting experiences with them and, you know, where, where I know what's going on with their with their bodies before they even know what's going on with them. So I think they're used to it by now. But um, but there are things that you can do with with that connecting to that higher energy. And love really is kind of that highest energy that holds everything together. Unfortunately, the word that we have for love doesn't really it it doesn't really cut it as far as what it means on a spiritual level. You know, humans have this we think of it as a person to person kind of thing. What I'm talking about really is the energy that runs the entire universe or even the multiverse. It's everything. It's that divine field. I think that's what Greg Braden calls it or the divine matrix. It's that energy at that level that we can connect to. Now, our part of it is what we call, you know, one on one love, love for our kids, love for our partner love for friends whatever that is but there's a if you take that to the highest level that is really that energy is what runs this entire simulation if you will it's that's it's the energy of all of this it's that divine energy um and, and she said if you only get one thing out of it just that understanding alone is plenty but you know, she talked about stuff like, you know, the importance of gratitude, of loving yourself, not just giving love outward to other people, but truly working on surrounding yourself in love and kindness and compassion, because um, that can shift your health. I mean, that can shift your reality right there. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to work on putting that together into a uh, like an online training course. So that's Great. coming down the road, but, but there is so much power in just love because gratitude is love. Um, the importance of forming, you know, a community of like-minded people, not, not necessarily your physical neighborhood that you live in and not really just friends, but just this community, um, could be over a hobby it could be over like a spiritual group that you go to once a month or whatever it could be um, that it's i found that i was just saying even with covid i feel richer in my relationships because of this podcast yeah i've become friends with everyone that i've interviewed and it's become this community yeah and i it's i was just talking about that so i think it's really interesting it doesn't have to be yeah. you know like a sex in the city type of situation where you're going right. out to it it can be <laughs> my friends are all over the world because of right. this and we all connect on this level which is beautiful that's exactly it you know right there that's exactly it and and it was interesting the timing of of that because it it was obviously pre-pandemic but but she was very insistent that forming these communities however we do it is very 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 important um and i i think there was a little bit of a precursor of what was to come like how important that would become like for what you do 
I don't host a podcast, but I love being on other people's podcasts. And, and that it also is part of the community. It's, um, you're connecting, you're really creating connection, which is the whole point. However you can do that, any of those connections, um, you know, if you can belong to like a community garden group, Mm -hmm. that's another way. So there's so many ways to connect. So that's really super important because that's how we're wired as people, you know, that we're wired to really be a part of a group. Um, And it can be multiple groups. It doesn't have to be just one. Mm -hmm. So that's one, another big one. It's the other one really that kind of goes along with that was just how interconnected we all are. And, and not just with each other as human beings, but with our environment, with the place that we live, with the animals around us, our pets, our, the wildlife, the rocks, the trees, um, the, you know, the streams, the rivers, the, everything, every being is all a part of the same divine field, this divine consciousness. And it's all equivalent. Um, no one's better than the other. Humans aren't better than polar bears or, you know, ducks on the pond. We're just different. We have a different set of skills. We have a different way of looking at the world. Actually, I think the most evolved beings on this planet are the dolphins, quite frankly, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, we have to understand that we're all intimately connected and not just on this planet. Um, it's everywhere throughout the universe. It's all planets, all other beings out there. And yeah, there are other beings out there. It's not just us. We need to get out of this earth centric view of, of reality. Um, there's more, there is more to this universe than just us. And we're all connected um, through the universe in some weird way that, you know, Einstein couldn't wrap his brain around. And some, most of the time I can't either, but it, right. it, but it really is there. So a lot of stuff like that, I put, I put that in my book, Awakenings from the Light, so that people could take time. and. Yeah, I can't wait to read it because I, I, I'm just fixated on every word. And it's so validating, too. Um, just to hear, yeah, I feel like you talk about self-love and, you know, I know my journey was, that was my, I didn't have trauma from other people. It was all in my own head. It was all beating myself up, thinking I was not worthy, thinking I wasn't lovable, believing I was ugly, believing, and, and that's what I attracted is people who couldn't love me the way that I because I didn't love myself. And it's such, it's a cliche for a reason, but it took all these years of therapy and 12 step to get to the point of where I am now, which is, you know, now having had a spiritual awakening and now all of these things you're speaking about resonate so deeply. And um, it's, it's like, yes, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm experiencing. And so it's so, I just get chills. It's so exciting. (laughs) And it's so interesting. It's so fascinating. And so it's just, it, it, that's why I've said this a thousand times. So sorry for repeating myself, everyone, but it is why this podcast is called Magic is Real because I wake up now every day, even if I feel tired, like I told you, I feel tired today. I was like, but I'm excited to wake up because 
there's magic everywhere and what's going to happen today. And yeah, it's, it's exciting when you look at it from the perspective of this is my soul's choice in a sense, you know, that my soul said, I, this is what I want to learn. This is what I'm going into. So now when I face challenges, I'm much more able to just ride the wave and say, all right, it's because it's all in my highest and best. It's all part of the journey. And um, it's some things are harder than others, but it's all flow. And it feels really exciting to hear that from you as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of akin to, you know, when you're dreaming at night, when you when you go to sleep and there's there's like three main types of dreams that people have. People have the typical dream where you just rehash the events of the day. And that just gets stored in your memory and you don't even really access it. It's just going through and kind of figuring out what happened today and it gets shoved in the back. And then there's, there are times when you sort of realize that you're dreaming and you're looking around like, it's not quite a lucid dream yet because you're not altering Mm -hmm. the reality of the dream, but at least you understand that you're dreaming and you're kind of, like you said, just looking around, kind of seeing what unfolds and taking it all in. And then there's the third part, when you get these really powerful dreams, and I think a lot more people have these than they realize. They have, I call them power dreams, other people call them lucid dreams. There There are multiple types, but you can have these dreams where you understand you're dreaming and then you can alter it. And you can make that dream go the way that you want it to or work your way out of, let's say, a fear. Um, There was one I had where I was in a really fearful situation. Then I realized I was dreaming. Okay, well, now I can change this because I I know what it is that I'm experiencing. So I was able to alter it. So we have those capabilities in our lives to have be completely asleep to what we are as soul beings on this planet. Or we can wake up. And I think when most people wake up, they wake up in that middle ground where they're like, oh, okay. I know that I'm, I know that I'm having this experience. I'm a soul. I'm going to learn from it. I'll do what, you know, I'll come and deal with it as I can and take things as, as all learning experiences. And then sometimes you have the opportunity to take that awareness of being completely awake in the moment and then altering stuff altering your decision making or whatever so that's when i when i explain to people you know the power in becoming awake in this life it's not just being physically awake it's waking up and being more conscious in the moment you know what i'm talking about you have then the power that you didn't have as a as a as an asleep person yeah you have the power to really make healthy decisions and absolutely loving decisions for the first time in your life. Oh yeah. That just, that resonates, you know, before my coping mechanisms were seeking validation from other people, having relationships with unavailable men, drinking, smoking, you know, not a lot of drugs, but there were drugs involved and um, eating disorders and all the things of trying to have that were me trying to have control because I didn't feel I had control, trying to manipulate situations to get my needs met. Now what's, I was just speaking with uh, Brooke Grove. I I don't know if you know her, but she's another near-death experiencer. Brooke and I were talking about how now, because of our spiritual awareness, 
we're able to just look at things as this is part of the, this is sort of part of the plan. And so it's, it's easy to, to go with the flow when you go, okay, I'm just going to let um, the universe figure it out. There's no, I don't have mm-hmm. to, I mean, I have to show up for life. I have to show up and I have to keep my head in a positive space and keep my vibration high. And um, as much as I can, obviously I'm allowed to feel sadness and all the other human things, but that once I do that, I'm just like, I'm not worried about it. Like anything that happens, I'm like, you know, barring someone close to me passing, which I know will be, you know, a much tougher thing, but just in general, the challenges, the jobs that don't come, the relationships that don't work out, the conflicts that I have with other people, I'm like, it's all fine. It's, it's, it'll work itself out. And I'm not even worried about it. And I think that's such an exciting thing to, to realize is that I don't have to reach out for external validation. In fact, that just makes the pain worse. Yeah. What really feels good now is to reach out to spirit and commune with spirit and say, I, every day I talk to spirit and say, you show me, you show me what you want for me. You show me the path. It's, it makes things so much easier. (laughs) <laughs> it does it because it's hard for us to to see everything from a from that higher perspective when we're down here in this physical yeah. reality we we can do it you know you can train yourself to kind of get that higher perspective and that's valuable but also rely on that spiritual connection because you're right that's where the power comes whether it's your own higher self you know whether it's a divine self um, or a divine being what however you want to call it or or spiritual guides um typically they have a lot more information than we do now you have to be careful you don't just ask whatever spirit happens to be floating by <laughs> right um, <laughs> but but within within reason and with practice you know what you what's what makes sense what what's reliable information and and I always check in with that. Like um, when I I I give I always try to give people examples from my own life because it makes more sense. So when I about two, it's been a little over two years ago now, um, two and a half years ago, I had been living in the Seattle area and and was starting to feel like the weather was not conducive to my health. It was just not a great place for me to live. Um, I was getting pneumonia like every few months. It was, it was not good. So I knew I needed to leave, but I didn't really know. Um, I didn't really know where I wanted to go to live. Um, and you know, so I talked a lot with my spiritual guides and they said, well, just wander around. I'm like, what? (laughs) Basically be a vagabond for, you know, six or eight months. Um, and at first I really rejected it. Like that's my first reaction. Like that sounds too crazy. I don't want to be on the road for eight or whatever months or the plan was actually a year. It wasn't eight months. It was a year. And I, and I just didn't want to do it, but I finally just relented and allowed myself. I didn't, it wasn't like I was sleeping in my truck or anything. <laughs> I was staying in Airbnbs, you know, I'd stay oh, in van Airbnb. life for the middle-aged <laughs> not in our lives. Yeah. Not for me. Um, but I did stay in Airbnbs, which is, you know, it was comfortable. Once in a while I camped out, but only when I really needed to. Um, 
but but I would stay in Airbnbs for a week to three weeks at a time and then go to the next town and just kind of feel it out. You know, the interesting thing about doing that, which I I wouldn't have thought of, it gave me a it gave me a sense of being able to rely on my own sense of the energy of a place and Mm -hmm. of people. And I could really start to feel where my energy felt at home and where it didn't. And the and it was so cool because it wasn't where I expected. <laughs> where did you, know, you end up? Uh, Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect it to, to be here. I actually expected to be back in Colorado, which is where I had spent most of my adult life. I thought for sure I would be moving back to Colorado. Nope. This was the place that felt right. Um, I still... I, you know, I sometimes wonder about it, but it still feels right. So obviously it was a good choice. And it, for a lot of different reasons, it was a good choice, you know, in hindsight. But when you, when you learn to kind of connect with that higher spirit, whatever it is, how, whatever you want to call it, you can really open up the world, you know, it's, yeah. Like, wow, I would have never have thought I could do that. <laughs> Absolutely. I know it's, it's exciting. Um, and I'm only bringing this up because I mentioned it in the beginning. You and I uh, discussed that we would kind of keep it brief, but I do know that you had, after this near-death experience, you ended up having another, um, I don't know if you call it a near-death experience, but um, uh, again, and the only reason I want to bring that up is to kind of talk about why some people kind of keep having them but briefly if you just kind of explain what happened and what happened the second time and I know that a lot of this is in your book too so um, we don't have to go into all the details but what did happen after that yeah so the second one happened um, I guess it was four years later and it was at Christmas time I had gone on a trip from I was still living in the Seattle area. I went on a trip to Washington, D.C. and then to Chicago and and stayed in Chicago for a few days and then went back to to the Seattle area. When I got back to Seattle, um, it was, I think it was the day after Christmas. Um, My daughter was with her dad and and his family for Christmas. And so I was was kind of by myself that day, which is not, not really a big deal. But I was just sitting in front of the fireplace, you know, that afternoon reading or, you know, watch, probably watching a movie too. And I started like about noon noticing I wasn't really feeling very good. Um, within four hours, I was really sick, like 102, 103 fever. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, I was really, really ill. And it happened like, like that. This is pre-COVID, by the way. So it was... You know, this was, I think, 2017. Um, and so I got really sick really, really fast. And I started to get concerned. Um, I normally, if I get sick, I don't normally get sick that quickly. Um, and I was beginning to wonder if I had something like a bacterial pneumonia yeah. or something that I picked up, you know, on my travels. So I went to bed early. And during the night, um, I got up a couple of times to go get a cool cloth to put on my face and passed out like a couple of, I couldn't even make it to the bathroom and I just passed out. Um, 
So then the next morning when I woke up on the floor, not in my bed, <laughs> um, I called and got myself to the OR or not to the ER, not the OR, but the, the emergency room. And um, they got me into the emergency room. Finally, it was it was a really busy day. Um, and so I was kind of down on the list, but they at least put me in a room. They had some traumas come in. So the docs were in and out handling the traumas and checking up on me. Um, they got me in for a, uh, it was an x-ray of lungs. They thought I had pneumonia because I was, they could like hear in my chest that like one lung wasn't really working very well. So I got in there and it was basically from the scans working on a quarter of one lung, you know, that's it. Right. <laughs> um, I was pretty, the interesting thing is my blood oxygen wasn't too bad. It, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. It was down, but it wasn't horrible, but I was really only using a part of one lung. And um, they got me back to the, the emergency room that I, the little private room I was in. And they gave me an IV and then walked, they walked away and they were gonna go get, I think they were gonna get antibiotics or something. And they got distracted with another trauma that came in. So here I am laying in this room and I'm listening to the, they have me on a heart rate monitor and my heart rate's getting slower and slower and slower. And I could hear this just almost like from a distance and I could start feeling um, myself really separate from my body. You know, it was weird. But but what I noticed is that I, I very slowly I couldn't feel my legs, then I couldn't feel my hands, I couldn't feel my arms. Um, I didn't know if I was breathing, and then the heart rate monitor started going crazy because I, apparently my heart rate went below thirty or something. It was really low. Uh -huh. And of course the other, the docs were in a trauma room, somebody had come in with a gunshot wound. So they're taking care of that person and I'm just left there. And all of a sudden I couldn't see anything. I had my eyes wide open, but everything went black and then I couldn't hear anything. So it was a very gentle, like shutting down of all of my systems. And then I noticed I was floating. And starting to float to the ceiling and i'm like very calmly yeah oh so this is how most people die <laughs> yeah much much preferred <laughs> to the other one this is how most people do it uh, and that's what i was thinking like yeah this is exactly this is how most people do it it's very it was very gentle um but it was a nat you know it was natural it was my body was naturally shutting down and and i just naturally drifted out and I'm about, I don't know, halfway or two thirds of the way to the ceiling, still kind of feeling like I'm laying down. And I turned over and looked at my poor body there on the, on the, uh, on the table and went, oh, okay, well, I'm ready to go now. This is okay. And then that dang voice came back. <laughs> and that, that voice said, it's your choice whether to stay or go, which will it be? So this time I was given an in the moment choice. Like I could stay and continue on with a life or if I left now, it'd be cool. Yeah. You know, I, I had done what I needed to do and 
and I was released now from my obligation to be, to be here and doing this stuff. And I, and, and I had this understanding, I had a glimpse of the future and there were a couple of things that I saw in the future that I wanted to be here for, um, to help other people out. So I stayed and I was like slammed right back in. As soon as I made the choice, it was boom, right back into my body. My heart rate came back. Every, I woke up, everything came back. By the time the doctor and the nurse came back in, um, my lungs had cleared up. They put me back in the, in the x-ray machine. Like when we listened to you before and those x-rays we did before, we knew that there was something wrong. And she, and she listened to me again. She's like, I don't hear what I was hearing. We need to scan you again. It was all gone. <laughs> so interesting. Just like in, in, in a heartbeat just cleared up. I wonder um, why, do you have any insight as to why from a spiritual perspective that would have happened where they're like, okay, we're going to give her another chance to do it again. And this time we're going to give the choice. I wonder as, as far as your path goes, do you have any idea? There's some, there are some thoughts that I had about that. You know, one is um, after the, after that big one that we talked about, Yeah. I, there was still, I still felt a little resentment for being sent back here. Now, granted, it was technically my choice because I had agreed to do that before I came into this life, but I still felt as if I didn't really have a choice, you know, that I, that I was compelled to be here. So in a way, it was an opportunity for me, I think, to really choose yeah. to do some additional stuff, kind of like extra credit. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I really had cleared up whatever I needed to clear up in that first little bit of time. So this was kind of like icing on the cake. I could take it and run from here. Um, and it was my choice to do so. And that made me feel more empowered, I think. It made me feel more positive about being here. Because it's hard if you have, for most of us, and most experiencers don't want to talk about how hard it is. Yeah especially the first, <clears throat> excuse me, the first couple of years, it, it, there are a lot of, in fact, <clears throat> not too many months ago, a fellow NDEer actually committed suicide because she just couldn't handle it being here anymore. Yeah. Um, and that happens more often than we care to admit. It's really, really hard to get that especially if you have a big awakening with it, with an NDE or an STE or whatever it is, if you really get like pulled wide open, it's tough to be back here sometimes and, and deal back with the mundane stuff and how people treat each other and not feeling like you can make a difference. So that can be hard. Um, but, you know, the second time, I think it was all about it was about choice for me. It was about choosing to add on to my experience and expand it a little bit. And, um, and it's, it's interesting because I don't really know at this point where it's going to go. Like before I knew, okay, I needed to do these certain things in order to feel like, you know, I could move on, you know, to my next life. But now it's really open-ended, which is kind yeah. of fun. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. That is, uh, I, I was 
I'm so inspired by everything that you just shared. And I know that my listeners will be too. Um, I just appreciate the depth um, of, of the detail that, that you've shared with us. Um, and I just, I just want to thank you so much for putting that out there because of the reasons that you said. I think we can't change people's minds necessarily, but you know, if, if someone's an atheist and that's their, that's their belief, that's fine. You know, that's their path. That's, there's no necessarily changing their ideas until they've experienced something um, that, that gives them, I was an atheist too, agnostic atheist for a lot of my life, even though I, like you had these experiences, but just wrote them off as, I don't know what that was, or that's a coincidence, or it must've just been a, some, some weird optical illusion or something. But um, I think people find out when they're ready or if they're meant to, but I still think it's so important to continue to put the word out to offer hope because life is hard, especially now. Um, it's always been hard. People have gone through hideous things, but if you can understand a little bit more about why it all happens, what's really going on, I think it can offer peace and comfort to a lot of people. And so what you are doing is important. If you even reach one person, it's yeah. important. And if it's someone who already believes, but it just encourages them to keep going, that's that's the work and you're doing yeah. it. So I'm very grateful that you are and that you're here <laughs> and that you chose to be with us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I wish you all the best and uh, I know we'll be in touch and I will be putting links to your website and your books underneath in the description. Um, and I would also love to hear more at some point about your your course so i'm sure it'll be up on your website but that sounds that sounds really exciting as well is there anything yeah. else that you'd like to leave us with parting words or things that you have coming up you'd like to share yeah parting words for everyone i mean you're all everyone who's list everyone out there everyone who's yeah. listening is a beautiful unique individual that has so many beautiful gifts and don't don't ever think that you're not worth worthy or worthwhile you are every one of you. I think that's, that's been the most um, heartbreaking thing for me. One of the things that I like to do is talk to people who are in their last stages of life. And I hear too much from people who say they don't feel worthy to be, you know, meeting God, you know, or going on to heaven. I'm like, everyone is worthy. You have had a worthy life. You've had a wonderful life. So think about all the good things that you've brought to your life and to other people. It can be just small stuff, but every one of you out there is worthy. You all have a beautiful legacy that you can share with the world. So, so do it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Thank Nancy. You.